In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the importance and the difficulties that go along with dealing with change. Welcome to the Marketing Your Practice podcast. I'm Angus Pike. Let's check in again and start by saying, how the heck are you? Here in Australia, Melbourne, as I am recording this, we're finally being let loose. For the first time in a couple of months, we're allowed to go and visit some friends, we're allowed to have some friends over, and all of a sudden my next two weekends are full already, which uh, I'm a little bit sad about. So um, it's odd, the irony of it. It seems as though that there's a drive for us to always want to have what we can't have. How are things going with you? I uh, have the pleasure of speaking with uh, many of you from around the globe, and I know that many of you are in much more significant lockdowns than what we are here. So if that's still you, my heart goes out to you. My love is uh, coming in your direction. Today, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, as I mentioned in the introduction. I wanted to talk about <clears throat> change, the difficulties of change, and then also the new opportunities that present, and perhaps help to identify maybe a couple of blockages that might be holding you back as well. Before we get into that, I'm going to have a moment of self-bragging. I've spent the last uh, maybe four weeks in lockdown trying to be productive, but I've completely finished reshooting Video Influence 3.0. So this is my video training. This is my video marketing training. It shows health practitioners, you guys, with a particular kind of bent and focus on kind of chiropractors, naturopaths, Chinese med practitioners, holistic dentists, how to make really cool and helpful magnetic videos, patient attracting videos. I think there's maybe, there's three modules. We've broken it down into a kind of before, during, and after. The before module is all about equipment. What do I need? And basically all you need is your phone, but how do you make the most of it? What backgrounds do we choose? How do we make the most of lighting, framing, all those kind of things. So if you're wanting to know how to get the best out of your camera, whether it be a mobile device or a fancy camera there too, I'll show you exactly how to do that. While our videos don't need to be, you hear me say this before, we're not after Academy Award winning videos, but your community can rightfully expect that the professionalism of your video reflects the professionalism of your practice. So if your videos look all shoddy and slapped together, those kind of things there too, they're probably gonna think that's what happens inside your practice. So a couple little tweaks and I'll show you how to, to do that. Module two is content creation. I've gone deeper into content creation than I ever have beforehand frameworks and templates and building blocks. Uh, by the time you get through module two, you'll never worry about what do I make my videos about ever again. I hope, that's my promise. In fact, I know that's the case because I've coached enough of you through it personally to know that when I teach you this stuff, it's a weight comes off your shoulder that you never have to worry about that anymore. Module three, in fact, also in module two, I'm gonna teach you some different frameworks from a five-part video framework which talks through introduction, how do we structure our message so it's magnetic enough to pull somebody all the way through? And then how do we create a really cool, heart-centered call to action that's not pushy, needy, sleazy, all those kind of things there too. And over the last 12 to 18 months, I've been really developing off that. And there's been an evolution of that five-part video framework into a 60-second video. Attention spans of your audience, of my audience, have been just decreasing. And before somebody will spend five minutes with you, then you need to give them some value first. So understanding the structure of a 60 second video, I teach all of that. And then module three is what do we do afterwards? This is something that um, more in the one-on-one -on -one work that I've been doing with many of you, 
Because you make great videos, but if the world doesn't see them, or if it's just your mum and your brother and your kids that see them, then that's not the whole point of it. The point of these is to, the videos to help get you five mile famous. <clears throat> I love, I've been obsessed with that concept. I didn't invent it. Uh, it was Dean Jackson. He might have said, I don't know whether he said five or 10 mile. Anyway, he, the concept rolls off the tongue, five mile famous. We want the people within five miles of your practice, 10 kilometers of your practice, knowing who you are. And via our mobile device, we have access to creating our own newspaper, television sta station, radio station. We've got access to all of that. But we, there's a process afterwards from emailing your patients to boosting it to warm audiences. How do we get in front of the people that have seen it before? Anyway, it's, it's the best work I've ever done. Um, I'm very proud of it. And it doesn't come easily for me to say that kind of stuff there too. If you're listening to this in the next week or so, you'll hear me start to advertise it. You can't get it right at the moment because I haven't quite finished the last little bits I'm tweaking into it too. Um, but you will be able to soon. If you're wanting to, as we start to open up and your communities are ready to come outside, they're valuing. Last week, remember I spoke about trust and we want to be building trust strategically as well as people start to step back into whatever normal kind of looks like life-wise. Video is the best tool to do that. If you need a hand with knowing how to do that, Video Influence 3.0 will show you exactly how to do that. Okay, that's enough of that. I want to talk a lot about change today. Um, this is something that I've been thinking a lot personally about some of the things that get in the way of me evolving as a husband, as a dad, uh, as a chiropractor, as an entrepreneur and coach inside of Adia Media here as well. And I think part of what's really stimulated is the massive change that we're going through as a culture at the moment. You know, I think we'll look back on 2020, maybe for hundreds of years to come as this being a real kind of pivotal point um, as well. But these kinds of change are not new throughout evolution. We see them these uprisings where people can't see their way out of a problem. And it, it, even for me a little bit at the moment, I can't get a real picture in terms of how travel will look in the future without uh, you know, having to have enormous numbers of vaccinations, go through different screenings, all of those kind of things. I, I, I don't know what it will look like, but it's hard to see what it might look like. In 1890, um, New York was going through uh, huge turmoil as it's just kind of been through recently. The turmoil it was going through at this time in 1890, the cause of it was a horse, believe it or not. And the problem the horse was causing is something like 500 tons of manure was being produced every day in downtown Manhattan. And they literally couldn't get it off the island fast enough. So um, they were looking for solutions. And only the two solutions that kept on coming up were basically, you know, it involved getting rid of horses, either getting rid of the horses or less use of the horses. And that was not a solution because they needed the horses for transport to get people from A to B. And they also needed the horses to get the, you know, uh, supplies onto the island there as well. So all the food that was coming in. And it wasn't until the early 1900s that a solution came along. And the solution came along in the form of the automobile. In fact, the automobile this is a really interesting story. The automobile in its early days was called the horseless carriage. Think about being stuck in a paradigm and not being able to see outside of things. But the horseless carriage, that was what the solution was. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, in those early 1900s, when I think about the introduction of the automobile, I imagine these kind of 
ticker tape parades. Uh, I, I don't, I, I've kind of seen footage of the Macy's um, parade. I've never been there to it. But, you know, we've all seen these big kind of city parades. You know, the, I imagine the car traveling down the middle of the road and, and the streets lined there and people kind of throwing streamers and cheering, thinking, what a revolution we're witnessing right now, going from the horse into the car. Now, here's the interesting thing. The streets were lined with people the first time that car went along with it. But it was no fanfare. People weren't cheering. They were yelling. Um, and there was great uprising. Because here's what was happening. They were yelling. But he, they were yelling, get a horse. <laughs> like, I, I can't help but laugh when I think about it, too. There was such opposition to the car at the time that there were protests. And if you just do a search online of Get a Horse New York. You'll find lots of stories about this in the newspaper at the time. I was stunned when I first heard of this too. But people were scared of change. We continue to be scared of change like we are at the moment. But the card was, uh, uh, um, you know, the change that it brought about was so uncomfortable for people. So streets lined left and right, people shouting, throwing kind of rubbish at the cars, get a horse, get a horse. Now, you might think that that's crazy, that's times past, but we've had changes like this happen recently with us too. I mean, there are cities around the world even now that won't let Uber be a part of them that still are pushing back things like Airbnb. Not all that long ago when music streaming sources came in, you know, the whole of the music industry, the artists, you know, there was this up rising against it too, saying, this is wrong, you're taking money from us. You know, the artists need a fairer cut. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of that, mostly because I don't know enough about it. We've got this change that's starting to shift in now of driverless cars, which we constantly see people saying, I don't want to be part of driverless cars. It'll be unsafe. It'll be this. It'll be that. And we see throughout history that whenever change is pushed upon a culture, it's really difficult. And not just cultural changes, you know, changes for us as individuals, exercise programs, eating programs, getting more rest, managing our stress. These are all things that are really difficult. If they weren't difficult, we'd all be working out every day, eating kale and drinking lots of fresh water and never binging on alcohol and chocolate. Maybe that's just me. But change is really, really difficult. When I think about these times going forwards, I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to make some change. So you might be asking, like, what are, <clears throat> excuse me, like, what are your metaphorical horses that you're holding on to that might be standing in the way of you when things open up again? What's standing in the way of you perhaps having the practice of your dreams, that practice where maybe there's a waiting list of people coming to see you, you charge a fair and reasonable fee, um, you get to take a regular holiday, you're well rewarded, you've got money in the bank, yes, it's okay for you to have uh, money in the bank, for you to be a health practitioner that helps people and for you to be incredibly wealthy as well. I'm, I'm telling you that, it's, it's totally okay. You've got associates that are working for you so the practice isn't dependent on, on you. When I think of a dream practice, they're all the things that I kind of think about. Maybe it's very different for you. The cool thing is, is that your dream practice is whatever it is for you. So what is it? what are your horses that are in the way that are preventing you from kind of stepping into that future? Now. I know for many of you, in 20 years I've been in practice, for the last 10 years I've been having lots more of these conversations in around marketing. For the last five years I've been having them pretty intensely there too. Uh, my contention is for many of you there's two horses that get in the way there too. The first one is, if you're going to step into that practice of your dreams, is that you need to get rid of 
Horse number one you need to get rid of is this concept of build it and they will come. The idea that all that stands between you and the practice of your dreams is really doing a great job looking after your people. And if I look after the people and if I get great results there too, internal referrals will happen, they'll send me lots of people and my practice will build into this stunning, wonderful dream practice. The build it and uh, they will come theme is the field of dreams. Um, great movie plot, absolutely terrible plan when it comes to marketing and growing a business. Now, invariably, at some stage, some of you will give me an example of somebody who built a really epic practice and never did any marketing. And yes, there are cases of that. And most of those cases, if we look back to how that happened, you know, there was one chiropractor in a town. Now, <clears throat> if you're one chiropractor in a town, it's like fishing in a trout farm. Okay, if you can't catch a fish when you're fishing in a trout farm, then you're doing a terrible job. So if you're one chiropractor, one naturopath, one dentist, you're the only one in that area there too, unless you're doing a horrible job, then of course your practice is going to grow. Or maybe this person, you know, it was 20 years ago when the competition was less. Like I've seen an enormous difference in the 22 years I've been a chiropractor. There's more choice now than there has ever been. There are more chiropractors now. People have more access to information. So the fact of the matter is, it's just a whole lot trickier now to build a practice than beforehand. And if I'm going to rely just on word of mouth, if I'm going to rely just on being great, then I'm going to find it really difficult. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because I want to be really clear is that what I'm not saying, I'm not saying you don't have to be awesome at what you're doing. Like that's the baseline. If you're not brilliant at what you're doing, if you're not world-class, don't even start because nowadays you're getting found out. If you're offering poor service, if you're not great at helping people get the health result that they're coming into you for, you're going to get found out. So in me saying that the build it now will come, I'm not saying that don't be great. I'm just saying that's the first step from there. We have to take it a next step. So horse number one, metaphorically, I think that if you and your practice are to thrive in this post-coronavirus type sort of world that you need to let go of, is you need to let go of that concept. That me just being great at what I'm doing is going to be enough for me to get the practice I always want. The second horse, which kind of leads from that too, is so many of us, and really, and I'm one of these too, have this concept that marketing is evil. That marketing, again, is really for those practitioners that are not great at what they do, that don't help the patients get a result. And the only practitioners that need to market um, are really those that are terrible, it's sleazy, it's pushy. And when I thought about marketing for the longest time, the vision inside my head was, one of two things. It was either that car salesman person or was those really annoying interrupting phone calls that we always get in around dinner or the most inappropriate time where someone completely unsolicited is trying to sell me something that's absolutely of no value to me. It, it drives me nuts as I'm sure it does with you. That's what I thought of marketing as. And it wasn't until almost a decade ago that I read a different definition that kind of went along the lines of this. This definition came from... Uh, strategic coach, um, Dan Sullivan. There you go. Dan Sullivan was his name. And his definition is that marketing is basically engaging people in a future result that's good for them. That's that's what it really is. And I think about when I got that, um, you know, he goes on to say, you know, getting them emotionally involved, getting them to take action. But I thought, hang on, I, I've got a future result that's great for people. I'm really confident about my skills as a chiropractor. I'd had 10 years in practice at that stage, saw the way that I was able to make a difference to people's lives, like you are each and every week, many of you, your community's best kept secret there too. I've got a future result that's good for people. And I, I just 
I just need them to know about it there too. So I couldn't see that there was anything wrong with that. And I started to kind of study some of the work of Seth Godin. He, he really talks about marketing as solving people's problems before they even need to come into you. How can I begin to solve people's problems? What, what I knew that as a chiropractor, while one of the things of value that I had was an adjustment, I had a whole lens, a philosophy that I saw the world that I knew that was of value to them too. And, you know, if you're listening to this as a Chinese med practitioner, then you've got your acupuncture and your herbs and you've got your diagnosis and the work that you do there. But you have a whole bunch of skills that even if people incorporated some of these lifestyle changes, if you help to kind of navigate them through some of the hurdles, that might, you, can, you can add enormous amounts of value to them before them even coming to see you. This builds massive amounts of trust. I spoke about this a lot on last week's episode that we must be building trust with our our audience there. So I started to, what I realized is that that old outdated view of marketing being evil, um, it it becomes, it's so ingrained. At the dinner table the other night, I was having a discussion with my daughter Mackenzie about what she wants to do in the future and different things. And, you know, she's saying, I just don't want to be in a job where I have to be pushy to people. Like, I just want to be able to help people. I want to be, she's kind of interested in emergency medicine. Um, I want to be able to help people, but, you know, I don't want to have to do any of this kind of marketing stuff. It was interesting given that I teach so much of us. So this idea that, you know, marketing and sales being sleazy and pushy, um, you know, it starts at a sort of very young age as well. I started to realize that marketing was anything but evil, that marketing was probably one of the most important and impactful things um, that I could do. I had a patient come into the practice just very recently, Judy was her name, and she came from interstate. And uh, when I asked a little bit about her history, she said, look, I've had a lifetime of problems with my neck and my back, you know, 40 years of it. And then I started seeing Lawson. He started adjusting me. She said, I've been a convert to chiropractic ever since. And I said, how did you hear about Lawson? She said, well, I got a flyer in my letterbox um, that talked a little bit about what chiropractic was. I didn't really know what it was. And he offered me a reduced price initial consultation. I thought, what have I got to lose? So she went in there. So Judy's life was changed because of good marketing. Had Lawson not done that, Judy's quality of life would be nothing like it is now. Like her, her life has turned around 180 degrees. You and I have patients like this. When marketing is done right, it's the best community service that you can do. And it's not complicated to do. I mean, I'm, this is 130 odd episodes in there, plus the bonus. So we're up to 160 episodes in here that I've been sharing how to do heart-centered marketing. And if you're wanting even more of that, then as I mentioned at the beginning, this Video Influence 3.0 will show you how to do it in a video format. But I've got it, I've laid it all out for you for free here. If you just sit down over a week and go through every episode, I show you how to do heart-centered marketing. I think at the very least, they're two of the horses that many of us need to give up. There's another horse that I'm working on giving up at the moment here too. It's this concept of that I'm enough. You know, so much of what, and I've only realized this recently, so much of what drives me in underneath of all the things that I'm doing and wanting to create and all these kind of things is really just like a little child, like a little 12-year-old boy, just go, I'm enough. I, I'm, I'm enough there too. And I'm realizing the very fact that I'm here, that my creator, whatever that looks like, lets me here. I'm, I'm born being enough. I don't have to do all of these things to prove to you that I'm enough. And I want to let you know too, while you're here, is that you're enough. We're all enough. You know, as human beings, we're put on this planet here for us to experience life, for us to be creative, for us to give, for us to serve, for us to love, for us to experience there too. And a reminder for me is that 
I'm enough. And so in kind of wanting to wind this episode up, there ahead of us is a beautiful opportunity. I'm already seeing as my community steps out from these metaphorical caves that they've been living in, that there's a newfound appreciation for health. And there's also a little bit of skepticism about what some of the traditional political and medical healthcare has done for this. They're wanting to look at another way of managing their health, managing the family's health, of another way of seeing where health comes from. And us, as natural health practitioners, where we're saying health doesn't come from a pill, a potion, a surgery. It comes from our lifestyle, from managing our stress, how we eat, how we move, how we think, keeping our alignment. That never before have I seen people so open, you know, so thirsty for that kind of information. And if we're going to be able to ride that wave, I think there are going to be some metaphorical horses that we need to give up. One, that practice moving forwards, that dream practice won't just come from you looking after the people. That's what that's where retention comes from. Retention comes from looking after the people of the Lord and their great service. It's not what attracts people. Attraction is what comes from marketing. I learned that from Alan Dibb as well. He's written a great book called The One Page Marketing Plan. We need to let go of this idea that marketing is evil. It's not. It's community service as well. And then me, my one, and maybe you want to join me in this as well, is let go of this concept that I am enough. I hope that you'll join me on this journey over this next 12 months, maybe 12 years of continuing to remind myself of all of those things. Now, as always, gang, thank you so much for all that you continue to do. Uh, it's been a bloody tough few months and may well be a bloody tough few months heading forwards as well. Thanks for hanging in there. Your communities, more now than ever, are desperate for your help for your leadership, for you to get outside of your own limitations and step into that dream practice. Because when you step into your dream practice, your community wins as well. Keep saving lives. See you back here next week. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out the Community Influencer Program. It's my monthly coaching program where we take all this material and I'll work one-on-one with you to apply, implement, systematize, and help guide you and your practice to the next level. Now, you can join me on over at adiomedia.com forward slash join. That's adiomedia.com forward slash join. I'd love to see you in there.